כלל הדבר. כלל הדבר. יהיה האדום מעיין על מעשיו כולו. This is the principle in summary. יהיה האדום מעיין. person needs to investigate, look into our mass of, on his actions, kulom, each and every one of them. ומפקח על כל דרכיו. And he has to be aware of all his behavioral patterns. שלוי להניח לעצמוי in order not to leave over to himself Hergel Ra a bad habit Umido Ra or a bad trait Koshikain a very of a fashion how much more so something which is wrong something which is a crime something which is negative something which is destructive Klal Hadova the principle is a person just look at everything you do every one of the actions you do each and every action that you do you have to look into to look at all your actions. Yeah, Adam, person. Ma'ayin, look deeply. Amasov kula. Amasov kula on all your actions. You do lots of stuff every day. Lots of stuff. We have to look at the stuff that we do. Imagine how many things we do in our waking hours from the second we wake up till the moment we go to sleep. Kala May I, in a myself, person should have an interest in being aware, conscious, in touch, together with his actions. And then there's the actions, but many actions start to create patterned directions, start to see recurring themes in your life. When you start to see those recurring themes, you can start to think, oh my gosh, one second. Oh, when I went to the breakfast room, I didn't realize, but in my attempt to grab the plate, I kind of socked the guy in the ribs with my elbow. And then I smiled as I left him there, winded and gasping for breath. (coughs) Interesting. And then actually it's the (coughs) fourth time that that's happened in the last two weeks. He was I'm just saying a translation of the words. I don't know why you responded to me. <laughs> but that's nice. Guilty conscience. Yeah, maybe you'd maybe like to share something with, with us. I was so excited to get here. On time. But you didn't read the book. Or the board. Which said that must have been in the 12.15. No, I didn't. 
It's amazing. I think there's a seat between Maya and Yoni, it looks like, even though they're both kind of hefty guys, but it looks like they could probably both squeeze in between them and squeeze out. Which pair is it? Yonish. Yonish. Maybe just miss out. Perik is it? Perik. Gimel, right? No, no. It's Perik. Gimel. So, says the Messiah Sashar, I'm glad of her. Yadam, Mayan, of Kuram, and Fakaka Kodrachov, Shiloh, Hanyak, Lats, Mehergol, Ram, Midra, Koshkin, and Verapesha. The person should look at everything he does and his behavioral patterns to make sure that he hasn't left over for himself some kind of bad habit and some kind of a very pressure. Now this is a really interesting thing. How we have to use self-awareness 101. We have to become self-aware because if we're not self-aware, so we can't really evaluate ourselves. And the most basic skill of maturation in terms of first emotional and then spiritual is the ability to be self-critical. And self-critical, I don't mean it in a negative patronizing and destructive way, I just mean in a a building fashion, in a person being aware. Um, The notion of evaluation, let's call it that better, I think we'll we'll use that word as a better word, self-evaluative. You have to be able to evaluate. If there's no evaluation, so then there's really no impetus for growth. I'll give you an example from, from my own life and how it's affected me. So, well, one of the things that, that we do is we run these internship programs. When we run them, we've got a few programs running, and um, I have one of the responsibilities of being very involved in the educational side of them. And then after all the programs are finished, there's under the J internship umbrella, there are 11 programs or 12 programs running simultaneously. And after all the programs are finished, there's an external evaluation of how well the program's performed. And then there's a rating. So ultimately your program gets rated vis-a-vis the other programs. First of all, internally, and then it's kind of, there's a chart which is set up where you come in in the league. So here's me. I'm cruising in my program. Yeah, I'm doing such good work. This is amazing. I'm, what a brilliant curriculum. And I can kind of like, inflating myself to the nth degree, thinking I'm so amazing, I'm so great. This is just me. And then you get the ratings. And they say otherwise. And then all of a sudden, they interview the participants and they got a whole spreadsheet of spreadsheet different parameters. How did you feel about logistics, management, staff, educational curriculum, engaging? And they got a whole like, set of parameters. And then the, the people respond and they kind oh. of do, the, do this, this, the maths and the stats of how each one performed vis-a-vis. And then you come and you left with this like, glaring thing in front of you that you... Failed dismally. Is that knowing the fact that there could be two completely different sets of audiences? Of course. In other words, my first rationalization is no, no, no. In fact, they, all those guys that did so much better than me, they had better infrastructure and they were dealing with different students and they had more finances and bigger budgets. So, really, with my wherewithal, I actually am way at the top, right? It's not your fault, even though. You know, and even so, it's not my fault. It's their fault. And then, Daniel Melly, I looked at myself and I said, you better get your act together. And do you know what I felt? I felt great. I thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Because now I'm going to have to rethink things. I'm going to have to make things tight. I'm going to have to make things smoother. This thing is going to... I'm so inspired now to work. And really, I don't want you just 
allow myself to some kind of state of somnambular passivity when there's work to be done. What is that? And then I realized to myself, I realized that actually that's an amazing approach to life. Because when you do become self-evaluative, you start to grow. And there is nothing more vital, there's nothing more rich than growth. And there's nothing more stagnating and ultimately depressing than staying in the same place for even a day, let alone a month, let alone a year. What makes us alive is change. To give you an analogy from a moving picture I saw when I was young and they, those things were still permitted. Barely moving about. At that stage they were barely moving, correct? Yeah. So between the flickering black and white images joking <laughs> that went flickering um, so there's a scene in a movie called Top Secret which is a spoof movie made by the producer of Airplane if any of you have studied movie history <laughs> and uh, there's a scene where he's on the phone inquiring about a pa- patient's well-being in hospital he goes hello he says can you tell me how is, how is Mr. Smith doing so the person goes mm-hmm uh-huh okay well great Thank you very much. If there is a change in his condition, please will you keep me, keep me up to date. Thank you. Bye. The person next to him says, how's he doing? He goes, dead. <laughs> <laughs> death is when there's no change in condition. So when you're not changing, you're dead. And dead, de- being dead is exceptionally boring. <laughs> it's like it's b- pretty depressing. When you're dead, it's like you're dead. How would you know? Um, because I've seen people who are dead. <laughs> And it looks pretty boring. I don't mean I've seen people who are dead, dead. But I've seen people who are the walking dead, the living dead, the ungrateful dead. Ungrateful dead. That's an old movie as well. Hey, no, 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 Jerry Garcia. So, so there's an interesting story about the Alt of Kelm. The Alt of Kelm, sorry, Alt of Slabotka was one sitting by his in his room with his son-in-law Isaac Sher, and he's looking out the window. And he says, "Wow!" He says, "Look at that graveyard." So. Uh, so Isaac Shaw said the graveyard on the outskirts of the city there's no graveyard yeah so then he looked at the people at the window and he said what do you mean here we go and he started to read the tombstones as they were walking by here lies the great and he'd speak about the potential that they had and now it's just being sitting there buried underneath themselves so something which I often think about myself and I think that's how the self-evaluation helps is what kind of potential is buried underneath who we are and when we're not changing, so essentially we we did, we did, and therefore we have to be changing the whole time. Now change is a really tough thing, because it means movement. But at the same time, it's the most exhilarating thing. People are really seeking to change, and maybe we can, you know. And if any of you have ever been parachuting, paragliding, paragliding. brother went parachuting. His brother went parachuting. Well, how's that? <laughs> Three times. <laughs> Very good. I'm sorry. I'm going to put the name to everyone out there. He went, parachute. his brother, yeah, and, and <laughs> Sam saw a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, that's beautiful. The big, was the, the big colorful one? <laughs> it was on the smaller side. Back. <laughs> so, <laughs> bungee jumping, <laughs> roller coasters. When you're on the verge of death, we feel alive. 
when we know we're already on the verge of death. When we think we're on the verge of death, we feel alive. Because all of a sudden, our life becomes meaningful if it's going to be lost. <coughs> Imagine how engaged and on fire you'd be, and how much cheaper it is simply to change. Right now, you have to spend a lot of money, time and effort, going to some bridge overhanging some ravine to jump off it and think that you're going to die until the elastic band kind of pops you back up again. You can get the same kind of adrenaline rush when you look at yourself and you dive away from your old self and then it's a real thrill because you actually, it's so exhilarating because you do die. And it's a little bit like a, like a lobster. Mm. Lobster, for those of you who don't know what lobsters are, they're giant, giant aquatic cockroaches. Um, they, they look absolutely revolting um, and creepy. And the pillar is that there's some people that in order to engage in them, just simply eat them. Hard to believe. But that they do do that, which is an interesting, another point to, to discuss at a later stage. So a lobster, when a lobster grows, something happens to it. It gets too big for its shell. So what does it do? It finds a cozy place underneath a rock, and it has to shed its old shell and grow a new one. That's really what we have to do when we change. We get these shells. In the mystical writings, which I don't know, but Dean does, they call it the clippers hatmeus, these impure shells which cover over ourself. And often to move forward, we have to shed the externalities and come into a whole new realm. But that requires self-reflection, because otherwise we don't even know which point of change should we begin with. And and we're very very caught up in. I, I actually. I would like to tell you a small story, and for those of you who are used to the oil painting, this has got nothing to do with an oil painting, I think that will be pretty reassuring for you. Once upon a time, in a place far, far away, there was a castle. Every good marshal has a castle in it. Now, Jess, Jess is thinking that he knows what the castle is all about, but he's completely wrong. He thought the castle was one which was fashioned from the finest marble, perched upon a hilltop, shimmering in the afternoon sun. He's wrong. So it's a completely different castle. This is the kind of castle that they have in, uh, in both. And this is the kind of castle that they have in Scotland, one of those like really kind of dark, bricky castles which have turrets on them. And have what? Turrets. And, and Joe's friend owned one. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the kind of <laughs> Thanks, Joe, for putting it in. That's, that's fantastic. Maybe, maybe if we go to the castle your friend owns, you're sure you can come with his brother and you can parachute. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam can watch. Unbelievable. Get on Facebook. So... <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. You guys have really, I mean, this is what makes us here so valuable the insights. The pet. The insights. The badger. He's like his friend. His friend is good at cars. Isn't that amazing? Like, like and I'm telling him, Marshall, about coffee. He's used to have a car. I'm telling Marshall about coffee. He was there last year. He was there last year. Oh my gosh. He was there last year. It was like he just had a car that he told him about. He visited it. I mean, that's. that's Oh, Life right. is so much better now than that. No, you know what I'm right? saying? Like, yeah, this is like it's all coming together. Like, we're shit. So let's get back to our martial. Sorry. Things that get sometimes they get like too relevant. <laughs> way, way too close to the core. <laughs> a friend had a castle that he visited, I'm telling you, like, whoa, tense, metal. So, in this castle, in this castle, funny enough, now, guys, if you, if you do know someone who is part of the royal family, just hold back for a moment. There was a king, 
safe. There was a king in this castle, and there was a king in this, and this king was like, he decided to go for a walk one day. Anyone's been in a walk recently? You know, someone's been in a walk, we saw someone walking. So, so, this king decided to go for a walk in the forest, he like goes down these big, kind of palatial steps made from the finest Scottish earth and into the forest. And, uh, probably had like a tot on the way down since he's become a Scottish king. And he walks, he walks down, down the path into the forest and he's like surrounded by these gigantic trees swaying in the wind and he's Moving between the the, she, the, the, the trees and on the sun-dappled path, it was the one time in Scotland when the sun shone, shone it was like one day, and he sees, to his shock and disbelief, that on one of these big, big trees is a target that's been painted. And in the bullseye, in the bullseye, there's an arrow. Thinks, whoa, this is amazing. That archer has got a fantastic shot. I should definitely hire him for my army. Oh, your brother's in the army, isn't he? That's nice. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm going to hire him for my army. He can become an archer in the army. I just have to find him. He keeps on walking, just thinking about the point and smelling in the, taking the deep, beautiful, fresh forest air, a small brook trickling next to the path that he's walking on slowly smashing the leaves underneath his feet. This is exhilarating, he says, as he sees another tree and upon it a target. And in the bullseye, there's another arrow. This time, he's convinced that he has to find the archer. So he keeps on walking, comes a small clearing, and yet again, another tree, another target, another arrow in its center. As he's sitting there pondering, he hears a rustling in the bushes, and lo and behold, a man dressed all in green, a bow in his hand and a sheath of arrows upon his back, pops out from behind a bush. He sees the king, and he prostrates himself on the ground. At your service, he says to the king. The king looks at him and says, Rise, O archer. Tell me, sir, has it been you that's been shooting these arrows with such accuracy? And are those your targets that have been shot at? Aha! With a smile, the archer replies, Your Highness, it was I. Tell me, says the king, how is it? How is it? What superb kind of training did you have, said the king, that you're able to get the bullseye every single time. To which the archer replied with a mischievous twinkle in his eye. You see, your majesty, it's really quite simple, said he. And from his bag that he'd been carrying quite next to him, he pulled out a jar of paint. And he says, Well, your highness, the way I do it is like this. First I shoot the arrow, and then I draw the target. Andrew, first I decide the course that my life needs to go on the way I want it, and then I draw my philosophy around it, making sure that the two so coincidentally 
fit together. And when a person does that, where he decides what he should do and then comes up after he's made the decision with the justification of why it's the right thing to do, he lacks the ability to self-evaluate and change and he gets caught in the rut of a predictable and sometimes downward spiraling path because his justifications have fortified his mistaken notion of the direction that he needs to go in. And he's got all the reasons in the world and they sound so good and so smooth and so slick. But perhaps if you reflect and say, well, maybe it could be different. And I could just maybe leave that dramatic tone of voice behind and speak quiet. This is it. This is like an honest thing that um, I'm sure I do this. And the reason why I'm sure I do it is because I think I don't. <laughs> sure, sure if I sign that you're doing something. If you go, oh, I never do that. <laughs> you do. Um, the reason why I think, the reason why how this happens is when you think about your life and you think, this is a direction which I can, this is the only direction I can be taking, then the chances are you've first chopped the arrow and then drawn the target. Wait, can you say that again? When you think about the pathway that you've taken in life, about the choices you've made, about whatever it is, <coughs> career decisions, relationships, approaches to, etc. If you think to yourself, well, this is, the only, this is the only way I could be doing things, so then the chances are you are shooting the arrow and then drawing the target. You, you, you're doing what you want to do and not what is perhaps the right thing to do. Because MS, truth, always requires two sides. The word MS spans the Aleph base, from Aleph in the middle to Mem and finally to Taf. Because it takes into consideration the entire spectrum of possibilities. If a person says, this is the only thing I've been dreaming about doing this since I've been a young boy and this is the only way to go, okay, well, maybe it's wrong. No, it can't be wrong. Why can't it be wrong? Because I've always wanted to do it. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? I always wanted to be a... a astronaut. Astronaut, no. I always wanted to, No. I always <laughs> wanted to be an artist that would wear long flowing robes and prance about. So, yeah, that's so cool. Like, hey, yeah, man. Um, and, uh, and then... What a loss. Yeah, you know, what a loss to the world of, hey, man, like, cool, yeah. <laughs> With the long flowing robes. Long flowing robes. Like on some like exotic island, yeah. living off the fat of the land, in like a crude stone hut. Oh my gosh, the sun is better by the second. <laughs> it appeals to you as well, I'm sure, <laughs> Jesse, in the box accountant person. Namely, <laughs> so do you know what I'm saying? So like we've got these things, and and self evaluation means I can see that there could be a different path for myself, and it's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. Because we are completely caught up in our own versions of the world. And to step outside is the first step towards freedom from being trapped in our own selfish cages. But let's, let's hear from Moshe. So, <coughs> the last class you said that individuals have their 
strengths and their weaknesses. Yes. Sometimes based on that, an individual chooses that path and they shoot that arrow. Right. Right. Based on your strengths and weaknesses. Right. So isn't this contra contradictory <coughs> to what you're saying? Because you're predetermining your future, for example, for your career based on your strengths. Excellent point. So Moshe refers to what we said previously, that when a person kind of sets a, a direction for himself, and he really thinks about which way he wants to choose to go in life. So it involves, a, again, a kind of a self-knowledge, where you, you look inside yourself and you see what are your primary talents, and what kind of direction do those talents point you in. Um, says Moshe, but then won't you fall into the trap of actually just going along with what you want to as opposed to what may be right. Theoretically speaking, if a person is, let's say, a talented um, people's person, and that's really a direction that he feels connected to, but it could be, in his given circumstances, he should rather compromise that talent to do something which doesn't involve people. I'll give an example. Give an example. Let's say a person's an incredibly gregarious, outgoing, um, extroverted persona. And he thinks, well, obviously what I want to do is I want to get out there and I connect to people in the world. And therefore he pursues a career of... Outreach. It's perfectly suited to his personality. So he goes out there and he's now been able to fulfill himself fully because he's on a college campus and he's connecting to people and this is amazing there's something else that starts to happen he starts to lose the distinction as to who's the who's bringing who closer to whom and while he's tabling on the college campus meeting more and more people and inviting them to hang out with him he starts to feel that hanging out with them is perhaps a time better spent than furthering his own spiritual development. And slowly but surely, he almost self-destructs spiritually in the name of spreading the words of Hashem. And he lands up empty of Torah missing every second davening because there's some kind of emergency situation where a person has to be met for coffee at a geschmacker coffee shop. Why not throw in some ice cream? Um, and as a result, he becomes... So, so therefore, one could think, well, yeah, you're right. That's very much in line with your, your strength of what you, what you are. But that doesn't mean that doing it would be the best thing. Perhaps what you need to do is create distance and utilize your strengths or even restrict them and do something else. Uh, so, in other words, like this, sometimes doing what's right means going against what you are. Not always that doing what's right means going in line with what you are. Sometimes doing what's right means going against what you are. I'll give you an example. in the slavery in Egypt, Shibut Mitzrayim, something very interesting happened. The men were given the women's jobs and vice versa. So be both genders were put in a situation where they were uncomfortable doing their task. It didn't fit with who they were. It was against who they were. 
and the slavery in Egypt was a preparation for us to be able to create a flexibility of self where we'd be able to properly align ourselves to Hashem's world. We need to have that flexibility. When a person is sold on only doing his talents, he becomes radically inflexible and unable to bend to the will of Hashem. So as much as a person should go in the direction of his talents, he also has to have within his arsenal the capacity to sometimes go radically against his talents. And if he's gregarious and outgoing and always wants to connect to people, wants to share his ideas, wants to speak an enormous amount, and he wants to really kind of be out there and connect to people, sometimes it's better that he learns how to restrain himself, to remain silent, to hold back, to, in, to perhaps explore the introverted side <laughs> of who a person is. Possible. Do you hear what I'm saying, Moish? I think that's an important thing. So it's an important thing for all of us to know because until you can until you can dance at both those weddings, you essentially don't have the freedom of choice to maneuver yourself in your own life. There's so much more to be asked, says Moshe. His head is rushing with a thousand questions. I'm just going to rush a little bit more. I'm just going to fetch a question on the right hand side. Mele, Moshe is looking really good. He's going to say a question. If you've had a certain, I guess, idea in your mind for a very long time that you want to do whatever it is you do, you want to do something. Yes. And you find out that it may not be the best thing for you. Yes. And you look into, at that point, if you look into other options that seem like they would be more suited for you, yes, in other on other places doing whatever it is, absolutely, and you find out that those other things are not, you you do you do you do what theoretically is right. Tell us, just be open. What's happening? Here? Just let's get out there. What what are you saying? You always wanted to no. Say it, say Me? It. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not the subject. Your friend. Your yeah, friend. friend you, of mine. you got a good friend. Go yeah. On. Tell me about your friend. Uh, you had a friend that always wanted to do stuff. Anyway, I don't know. Um, if you do your stuff, if you do Shikla Das. Well, what are we talking about? Like, give me like, a illustrate it. <laughs> Tell me about like your friend and what happened with him. Uh, it's too it's too it's too vague. I don't want to get caught, caught up in the vagueness. Already. Huh? It's too vague. Yeah. It's too vague you don't want to get more precise. Yeah. No, let's get uh -oh. more precise. You always wanted to no you your friend always wanted to friend always wanted yeah. to go to the army. Oh, let's take the example because it's yeah. like I think it's safe. It's like not really relevant to you. Always, <laughs> yeah. you always like wanted to go to the army. Always, want, I always, always wanted to. Always, always wanted to go. And then what happened? And then one day you, someone told you it might not be the best thing for you. Maybe the end of your spiritual growth. Maybe it may be it may be putting yourself in danger for no reason when the other people do the job. Right. There's like a small, tiny, minute percentage of people that devote to studying Torah, and we need every able-bodied man. Oh, well, we got to go to the surplus, army. There's a surplus of people in the army. They turning people away. Go on. Right. So you think that all those thoughts, and then what starts happen? Let's say you you spend. Let's assume. Let's assume learning is the other option. Learning is the other option. They right. can learn. Yeah. So you spend a significant amount of time learning. You spend. Let's let's call it three years. That's significant. Five years. <laughs> five years. Five. Five. Five years. Good. Five years of learning, and after five years, sorry, after five years, after five years of learning, you say, you know what? I love learning. I still want to be part of my life. I still want to go to the army. 
Okay. Is that once you've I guess weighed out the weighed out the sides? Yes. Is it is it at what point do you know when it's appropriate to? Or does that mean that the other option, going to the army, for instance, is never on the table? You should never, ever even consider it? Or after years and years of doing whatever uh, the other option is? So that's, that's an excellent question. Right. <laughs> Why to get family? Okay, it's a friend of mine, not me. <laughs> so that's an excellent question. In other words, like this. The point, the point isn't at the initial stages, even which path you choose. Yeah. It's creating the possibility <coughs> of two paths, three paths, four right. paths. That shows that you're in the world of Seichel. Right. You're in the world of, of Emes. When there's only one part, you're not in the world of Emes, in the world of what's called Midas, in the world of Ratzin. It's what I want. It's not what is. It's what I want. Right. So that's a, really, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, yes, is anyone that wants to ask a question? <coughs> Excellent. So let's go a little bit further. <laughs> it's amazing how people can... No, it's amazing how people can actually change. Some people, I know, I know a person, not here, that had a really hard time keeping quiet. They're like, they're, for them, like, if a word's in my head, it has to come out of my mouth. Right? I've, I've seen people like this. And, like, they can be very, very, very kind of on top of you in a conversation and give you no space to even breathe. And then I saw this person, this amazing transition. This person really, in front of my very eyes, transformed. They found this part inside themselves where they said, you know what? It's okay if I'm just with myself. I don't have to go shooting off my mouth at every kind of time even when I can b- move the blinks an island. I can actually just live with myself and with my question. And they start to, and I saw the transformation, they start to build something called an internal world where they didn't have to externalize every single thought that came into their head and they start to think about things to themselves and mull over them. And I saw this person growing. And then over the course of like weeks, they became deeper. They became so calm they actually became more settled because these people this person not here was always like a little bit jittery a little bit like over energized one could say over enthusiastic KB plus KB plus KB so and then they they had like this, this transformation and that's because they said do you know what maybe there's another way of being maybe I can evaluate two sides you're with me Andrew so I think that's something which is, which is the Ramchal says over here that a person has to be self-evaluative. Now the question is, well, how do you do that self-evaluation? Because most often we are caught up in our, in our own heads. And we living the narrative, the whole story that we've told ourselves about what our life is. And when we're in that narrative, when we're in that story, so how can we evaluate it? We're, we're part of the story. There's an immensely powerful scene in a book called Catch-22. In fact, it's a book. It's not only a phrase. Where the, where the character is at a restaurant and the narrator comes and says hello to him. Oh, whoa, what were you doing? <laughs> you're narrating the book. You can't like, speak to me like you're... So I think that's a fascinating idea to, to play around with. What happens if the narrator of your life says, oh, by the way, let's talk about the story. You say, what story? This is reality. Oh, no. It's just a story. It's just a story, and maybe like there's an interval now. There's commercials. What? This is my life, bud. No, no, no. It's a story, and I could have told you a different story, and you're just a character. So then you call out to the narrator and say, "If I'm just a character in my story, where's the real me? Where's the real me?" And you don't just tell us of another story. You only connect something which is deep and powerful. 
so that's the kind of awkward place that we have to uncomfortably shuffle around in in this idea of it's the catch-22 it's the catch-22 so here we are trying to find ourselves and being trapped in the narrative of our own lives and is there perhaps someone outside there that's escaped the matrix can bring us back to our sensibilities disconnect us from the sustaining life support system that's kept us inactive and caught up in a pod somewhere in the storage system of humanity. Let's break free. Let's go on a brutal self-analysis and this is the way we can do it. <coughs> Borrowed from the Alta of Calm, he says, if you ever want to get objectivity about your life, I'll show you how you do it. Take your life and pick a few things that you're doing. And then rationalize why all the good things you're doing are really bad. All the good things you're doing are really bad. And in that process of annulling, criticizing, dismissing all your good things, you'll be freed of being beholden to them and being given the freedom to reevaluate. So for example, let's say you've decided that the most important thing for you to do is to daven in the yeshiva minion because that way you have the most kavana. So now you have to say, I'm going to prove to myself that that is the worst thing I could ever do. And then you start to think, well, why is the worst thing? It's like a really good thing. I've got there, it's patience. Then you start to think, so, well, no, because perhaps, and you start to like, perhaps the reason why I'm doing it is because I get street cred for being the bocha that goes to the minion. And then people look at me and say, whoa, look at Mali that goes to the minion. Mali is like such a chosh of a bocha. And the truth is, it's not that you want to connect to Hashem. In fact, the very thought that you're thinking that absolutely destroys your capacity to connect to Hashem. Because all your tefillah is one big self indulgent experience which is masquerading as spirituality. It would be way better that you went to a different minion and no one knew who you were and then you could just pray to God. When you do that kind of thing with your life then you can say okay but maybe not. Maybe the reason why I'm going to the minion is taka because I just enjoy diving slowly. And then you get that, obje- that objectivity that self-evaluation. Are you following me? Yehuda, Levine, are you following me in this? Yeah. It could be quite amazing, right? And uh, we can go through it, and I can go through my life that. But before we do so, I'm just going to get one of those questions from Daniel Malley. You can say bad things, like make them all good, and then you can actually choose. Oh, be a, I never thought about it that way. The Alt of Calm says this, this way, but maybe let's look at it the bad thing. Would it work? That's a great, that's a great question. So, let's say, so tell me something that you're doing that's really bad, Mel's. <laughs> <laughs> Turning up to share late. So the person comes to share late, and seemingly that's a bad thing to do. So no, actually, that's the best thing to do. Well, certainly if it's Musa share, the less time you spend in the share, the better off you are. For sure. Thank you. Um, and you could you could argue that the break that you needed to get there, well, actually, at least you'll get part of the share if you come in late. Whereas if you came in early, you completely lose the whole thing. 
and you might feel more refreshed. And you might feel more refreshed. That's what it says, so you can concentrate more. It looks like you're going with this one, baby. <laughs> 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 I'm sore. <laughs> so, isn't that interesting? And now it becomes, now it becomes a choice. That's how the self-evaluation works. So that's something we can do. Something to, I think, maybe take some time to do. The Ramchal continues in saying, This process you should do on a daily basis. Like the great merchants. That they would be constantly evaluating their businesses in order that they shouldn't become ruined. You should establish, you should make actually set times for this. So it's not just random. It should be really kavua. Because there's an amazing benefit to that. So really we should be spending a time, he says, more than one time fixed per day. You should have a, a, a time for contemplation every single day. He says, even more than once a day. In order where you can just do this evaluation. And he says, when you do that, your life will be transformed. Now, practically speaking, each person has to know for himself what's, what's, what can he deal with and what. But that's a really interesting idea to play around with. The, the idea of just sitting by myself, having quiet time every day where I'm able to be self-evaluative. And it could be redemptive. It really could be. So, I mean, alavai by us all. I think it's a really important lesson. I'm glad you guys were here to share this with me. Um, and for some times, I actually, it's beautiful for me to witness what I, what I call visible transformation. Um, <laughs> thank you all, and may you have a wonderful day. Sure.